Hey, shut up and listen. The Shut Up and Listen podcast, hosted by Jim Gray. Raw, unedited phone interview. Talking about music, movies, culture, business, and random stuff. And now, enough of me. Let's hear from Jim Gray. Hey, this is Jim Gray with the Shut Up and Listen podcast on Frequency.fm. And today I'm joined by my friend John Sowers. John, how's it going today? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, John, if I was going to give you 45 seconds to do- to tell a group of people who you are, what would you say? You know, uh, a husband, a father of twins, uh, hopefully a friend trying to do things that matter. Um, we... Uh, I lead an organization called The Mentoring Project. I write books, uh, and I uh, try to have fun and um, pursue adventure. So I, I guess uh, 45 seconds is pretty short, but yeah, so my family is kind of the most important thing in my life. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. that's it. Now, um, we first met in Portland, Oregon, you know, some, uh, you know, um, cool little hipster coffee shop, probably barista or one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your, your backstory. Um, you know, you hint about this in your, in your, in some of your books, but, you know, tell me what it was like for you growing up. Sure, man. Um, you know, I have a really great mom and, uh, have, uh, had a grandmother that was kind of like, like a, a second mom and my mom worked three jobs. My mom worked three jobs. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know what to do. Um, we can have food on the table and have braces and, you know, go to the doctor and have clothes and all the things that the kids kind of need. And then my grandmother was kind of the one that did mom stuff. And so she was the nurturer. She was the one who, you know, did the, uh, taught me how to read and write and you know, draw straight lines and kind of do all that stuff. And so, um, so that was that. And my older brother, you know, like all older brothers, he, he liked to mess with me a lot. And then, uh, also had, um, some good mentors had a, a couple of guys that really stepped into my life and they were, um, they were real present for me and they kind of showed me what it was like to be a man. Very cool. Um, and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then I lived in Texas for a few years and then, um, grew up the rest of kind of my childhood in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then, um, Ended up moving away for school in Chicago and in Boston, and then uh, work um, took me to the West Coast. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so, so tell me about your most recent book. I know you've written a couple of books. We a lot of you know a lot of people that are listening today know about Fatherless Generation. Tell me about your latest book. Yeah, and so that's uh, it's called The Heroic Past, and it was really kind of born um the night my girls were born it was i started writing it in the hospital um right after my girls my wife had delivered twins and and here they were and so you know it's kind of a surreal thing like there's two immortal souls that come into the world and all of a sudden you're expected to protect them and provide for them and and care for them And, and so i just kind of began to write about that that night as they were sleeping and so i wrote a couple of chapters probably that first night and and then also 
kind of a lot of the questions that go with that, kind of the questions that go with how am I going to be a, how am I going to be a good dad and, and the larger question of how am I going to be a man and, and what, how am I going to be a man for them and mm-hmm. how am I going to relate to them? And so kind of that question was born, the book was born out of that question. The Road Path was kind of born out of how do we find manhood, especially if we're a generation raised by women. You know, they talk about that in Fight Club a lot, that we're this generation raised by women. And so yeah. women are great and women are, are everything to us. And they've, they've been heroic and they've known them. But, but there's some things about manhood they just can't really show us. You know, they can't, they mm-hmm. just are not really equipped to do that. And so they can do so much for us and they can, they can provide for us and love us and be great like my mom and my grandmother. But ultimately, I still had questions going into manhood about what that was like, and, and, and um, I kind of talk about some of those inadequacies up front, the real personal ones about not having a lot of the man skills. I, I think I probably do have some man skills, but I, I don't have a lot of the ones that, that, that are the same mm-hmm. And I kind of just bumbled around for a while. So the heroic path is really not written from this kind of like, here's my expert perspective. It's really mm-hmm. kind of written as my learning journey with the reader. And so in real time, um, the whole second half of the book was not in the outline. It was so I scrapped the mm. original outline and I turned in that book to the publisher and said, Hey, this is the book. And they said, okay, we like it. Fortunately, because I, I had outlined a whole different book, but you know, as I'm learning this stuff, as I'm trying to find this answers, these headwaters mm. of manhood, um, you know, I, I think, the answers were coming out differently than, than what I thought they would as I set out to write. And so that was really cool. It was kind of a, a process mm. of discovery. Very cool. Very cool. Tell me about your, um, I, you know, just out of curiosity, what is your, what was your book writing process? You know, we have a lot of, a lot of friends and, and, uh, you know, people that listen to this podcast who, you know, they're interested in writing and what was that? What's the, the process like for you, um, creatively or even, Manually, I mean, are you a procrastinator? To um, unpack that a little bit for me. You know, um, when I lived in Los Angeles in 2004, there was a really good article that I, I used to subscribe to the LA Times back when people actually read newspapers. Yeah. And there was a real, real good article in that 2004 LA Times written by Bono about songwriting. And it really influenced me um, about writing. And he talks about this idea that Find soul, find the, the blood, find the heart of the matter, and mm-hmm. then the words will come. And so find the soul of the thing um, rather than crafting the right words or trying to find the right angle or doing this or doing that. And, and I think the world doesn't need any more soulless books, you know, books that, that don't grip people, books that don't move people. Um, I don't know if those need to be written. I mean, I mean we, need, we do need textbooks and we need information, yeah. but information is valuable. But for me, I kind of write from a very different place than the information guys. And I, I love information, but I really don't think that way. I think almost like my soul and my brain is almost like a wild, tangled mess of things. And so hmm. to get into that and then to get in the soul of the thing, and what, what is, what's going on in there? What's God doing in my life? What are the bigger hmm. questions that I need to answer, that I need to find? And so part of that was um, the book was actually first called Heroic, just Heroic the Word, and it was kind of mm-hmm. more of one of those books that highlight other men that are heroic that, you know, you see those books out about once a year, and they're pretty good, and they sell pretty well, and I was kind of writing that book. And my wife told me, ironically, she said, you know, that book, 
kind of reads like an IKEA instruction manual. So, you know, <laughs> I read some to her, and she just crushed it. She was like, that, that's terrible. <laughs> well, like, actually, yeah, she just said, that's really bad. And so oh. I went back and found that journal that I hadn't read to her yet from the hospital. I'd written it like a year before. And I said, what about this? I was kind of determined to read her something that, was, that mattered. And she was crying, and I was too. It was really powerful. And I'm like, this is a this vivid moment and this, this um, kind of this visceral thing. And so to me, writing a book, a book is more of a living organism than it is mm. a bunch of information and words that, mm. can, whatever. Um, and so it, it was really cool to see um, those images. And, and that's kind of how I write. I mean, some writers are very good at writing information. and They're, they're kind of like are architects and engineers, and they know how to like mm-hmm. create all these infrastructures. And for me, I'm just more like a river. Like, I'm just kind of like, however it comes out, with, with broad visual language to inspire more than just to kind of instruct. And so the heroic path kind of turned from a book about men to my learning journey. It went real personal. And, mm. and then it got a lot better, and it got a lot more personal for me even in the writing. And I was making confessions about how I'd looked at women the wrong way and how I'd uh, been passive or how I'd looked at bosses the wrong way. And so it became a lot mm-hmm. more honest. And so a lot of the responses I get now are really cool and they're real honest responses. And so I'm almost like, man, I read that and that, I can't believe you said it. I, I totally pre-fail like you were just talking about. I totally choose failure because I'm afraid or, or I totally mm-hmm. do this or I totally do that. And those were just discoveries from my own soul um, that I was putting on paper, not not as in lecture form, but as in let's discover together form. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, there's some parts, John, in the book that for me, um, in those first couple of chapters where you're talking about, like the story about, you know, the weed eater, about the weed eater is broken and you have to call your father-in-law to come fix it. Right. You know, um, candid, of candid stories like that, 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 you know, men, even I, can relate to, um, you know, over the years I've had, you know, trees and, and my, you know, like a house that I had in Los Angeles that I didn't know how to fall that tree. Well, you know, a friend of mine came over and felled a little snag and, and cut it up and stuff like that. And even this weekend, my, my youngest son and I were at a garage and I was, you know, um, going to take some tires off a car and put it on another car. And the guy says, well, you know, jack those up and put the, the jack stands under there. And I looked at him, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I've, I've worked in front of a computer for 10 years, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, those kind of things. And fortunately for me, I have friends who would be like, oh, yeah, well, there's like this little area under the, you know, the Honda that you put it under there and jack it up and tell me what to do. And the guy was real gracious. And I grew up around people that wouldn't exactly have been like that, you know? So you, I exactly. think we have that fear. We have that fear of rejection of like, I don't know how to do this. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I think a lot and, of us have this fear. Yeah. So, um, you know, in my mind, it's kind of like there's something been lost the farther away that we move from the earth and from um, kind of using our leathery hands to either plow or to do things. And it's a romantic idea. I mean, those guys had problems, too, and they had issues, and I'm sure they had shame as well and inadequacy and all these things. But I think there's something that we lose when we move really far away from those guys that, at least in my mind, had... It's, it's, it's an initiation of source, and I think that's really what Heroic Past is about in its essence. Yeah. And it's one, one word, what's this book about? It's about masculine initiation 
and mm-hmm. finding initiation where when, when we live in a culture that's, that's even hostile to the idea, hostile to the idea of gender, hostile to the yeah. idea of anyone that makes any kind of truth statement toward gender. And so if you say becoming a man is this, people are kind of hostile to it. There's confusion around it. And so, yeah. um, you know, as we learn how to change a tire or as we learn how to plow a field or we learn how to do things with our hands, it actually answers something in us. There's a deep answering that, that versus having to call the father-in-law and say, can you help me fix the lawnmower? And I literally threw the thing on the driveway and like screwed it and like on its <laughs> yeah. side. Like I, like, I don't I hate this thing. It's like leaking gas. I left it there for like three days in the rain. and just was so satisfied. I should have just blown it away, you know. But like there's something in us that's kind of answered deep when we were able to uh, do those things. And not all of them will need help and different things. But um, I think that's one of the things that we kind of lose with technology. Even the, the beauty of all mm. the technology that we have, we lose kind of those testings that help us answer the questions that give us confidence just as people. Mm. I, I agree. I totally agree. Um, all right. So also in the book, right around uh, chapter seven, chapter eight, um, you talk about, you bring up, you know, talk about zombies. Um, and um, what's your, what's your take on zombies? And are you a person? And tell me, and tell me what, so are good. you afraid of, actually what I want to ask is, are you afraid of zombies? Do you fear zombies? And are you a prepper? I, I really want to know. It's actually, it's interesting. So like, um, I think the apocalyptic images are in a lot of our um, faces now, whether that's a walking dead TV show or a movie or a, Whatever it is, do you watch? Um, do you watch The Walking Dead? You know, I don't. I don't have cable, and so I don't. I don't watch. Oh. Um, I, ha- I haven't had a TV for years, but I've seen <laughs> clips of it. So that's a problem. I know, I know it's about. That's why I'm so strange because I don't watch TV. But um, I, I know. Um, John, that like just answers every question I have about you now. That's right. That's right. I, yeah. I know there's Rick, and I know he's he shoots a 357 Colt Python. Yeah. And I know, you know, whatever her name is, Michonne uses the samurai sword. And, but um, really the, the funny thing about zombies was um, it's, it's kind of couched in the idea. So in that second half of the book, there's kind of there, there's what I call these mythic steps. And, and so the first part of the book is about my kind of foibles and my inadequacies and looking to manhood from the mother boy or from the adolescent man guy or from, you know, big truck guy or gym guy and all these different yeah. kind of guys that are kind of uh, facsimiles. Uh, and I don't mock them because they're kind of all we have. I mean, those guys, those kind of hollow stereotypes are all we have. So the first half of the book is kind of my, my, my stumbling through that. And the second half kind of picks up on this real path. And the path kind of is found in four spaces. Um, for one, there, there are kind of four stages. And the path is really about Jesus' move from um, carpenter into Messiah. And so, hmm. you know, Jesus at 30, he leaves the village. And so that, there's that first move. It's, I call it severance. So he leaves his mom's house. He leaves the popular voice that we all clamor for. He leaves all that behind. Social media, he turns off his phone. He leaves all hmm. that at the village. And then he, where does he go? He goes under the water, right, where he's empowered hmm. by the Father and he is, uh, we see, uh, identified by the Father, and, and the, the Holy Spirit comes like a dove. Then he's going to the wilderness where he's tested, and then he comes back to the village, which is the return. And so there's kind of those four moves, like severance from the village, 
his transformation move under the water in the river Jordan. He is tested in the wilderness, and then he comes back to the village. And at the village, he gives his life for the village. And he's different. You know, he's, he was born the Messiah, so we know that. But here's the key. It wasn't his Messiah time until he um, actually um, came back. Because we know that Cana, when his mom asks him to make wine, he says, it's not my time, which is such an interesting thing for the creator of the universe to say. It's not my time. He comes back to the village. It is his time. And he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. It's Messiah time. And so these steps, what I call these mythic steps to me, were kind of these steps that we find of initiation, uh, masculine initiation of how we know we're men. Have we left the village? Or are we living for the popular voice? Have we left mom's house? Have we gone under the water? Are we being transformed and identified with the Father? Have we been tested? And now are we giving our life for the village on the return? And so the zombie thing was fun, but it's kind of this idea that we are, we are, um, we all fantasize about it because we all have yeah. fantasies to leave the village. We all have fantasies that something is, we need to confront something. Like there's, there's all these stirrings, I think, that are even supernatural. I'm not saying zombies are supernatural, but I think there's stirrings in us that we want to test ourselves. Um, I've been reading a lot of uh, grizzly bear forums. So this is what I do in my spare time. So uh, I'll get online and I'll see appropriate handguns versus a grizzly bear. And I'll spend an right. hour reading about 454 versus 44 Magnum versus 460 versus Brennan right. Slug out of a 12 gauge. And a lot of this is because we want to test ourselves. We yeah. are untested. We want to confront something just like all the mythic initiators, the, the, the Maori tribe who would kill a lion with a spear or the, the Native Americans that would slap the bear on the butt, we want to confront something as men, and we don't even know how to do that. Um, and so I think a lot of the zombie talk is about that. A lot of these bear fantasies, that these guys, mm-hmm. right, there's thousands of online things like this is what you should do and that. And it's just guys fantasizing about confronting a bear. It's super funny. And so... Um, yeah, so I think that those, those mythic steps of leaving the village, of going under the water, tested in the wilderness, and returning to give our life to the village, those steps that Christ took, um, are kind of our roadmap to masculine hmm. initiation. What, uh, what is going on with this page on your blog, your personal blog, uh, called Knives? What, what's that all about? So about, about two years ago, my wife told me that I needed a hobby. And so um, I always wanted to learn how to make knives. And partly, too, because what I was about in that chapter about studying it, preparing envoys and weed eaters and cars, and I just, no one's ever showed me how to do that. And a lot of those skills are mm. learned. So yeah. it has to show you, you know, like the fences I build fall down, the things I fix break again. Last night, my wife asked me to take a lot. This is last night. My wife asked me to take a light bulb out. I couldn't get it out so that we have a burnout light bulb that I'm sure my father-in-law could get out, but I couldn't get it out. You know? And so there's all these things in my life that kind of speak to that inadequacy and that void that can be filled with shame. And so part of it was I wanted to learn how to do something with my hands that actually was rewarding, that was actually therapeutic a little bit. And so I take big pieces of steel and then I take a, either a circular saw or a bandsaw and I shape it and then I put it to a grinder and then heat treat it and so I make these big knives and they're really impractical. They're all like 20 inches long. They're basically like short <laughs> birds. 
and they have yeah. no purpose at all other than being really fun to make or giving to friends who fantasize about killing grizzly bears. And right. So, okay. Right. Right. Uh, so you're not going to use the, you're not going to use to make a sandwich or something. I mean, no, no. You, if you pulled out for a sandwich, like say in uh, Panera Bread, the place yeah. was just empty. People would think you're a psychopath. Yeah. That's great. What is your, tell me about, what is your definition of a mentor? You know, it's interesting. That's a good question. Um, a mentor is someone who influences another person to become someone or someone else. Um, so a mentor to me is a neutral word, and a lot of people get so excited about that word. Oh, this hmm. person's mentoring, that person's mentoring. But mentoring is really a neutral term because you can mentor someone to do anything. You can mentor someone to make knives. You can mentor someone to join a gang. You can mentor someone to do drugs. You can mentor someone in a lot of awful ways or some beautiful ways. You can mentor someone um, to character. And so that the, the real question about mentoring is um, who am I mentoring someone to become? Uh, uh, what, is, what are we mentoring people or children or whoever to become? Uh, I think a great verse, a Bible verse for that is from Paul. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And mm -hmm. so as we look at that, uh, this idea of mentoring, um, what are we mentoring somebody to become is really an important part of that. And the second part is, you know, we're, we're really all influencing others all the time. We're, we're, we're all mentoring others to be, to, with our influence to become something or someone else. And so uh, whether we realize it or not, we're all mentors. And so what kind of mentors are we? Are we intentional? Are we giving our lives to other people? Um, and, and I think that's a real key to this because it's so easy with a word like mentor to get so excited about it, you know, like the ice bucket challenge and yay, we'll, you know, dump our ice on our heads or, or do that kind of thing. <laughs> But it's, yeah. just, it's just ideological. It's just an idea. We're dumping, and it does help to donate to those kind of things. And so I'm not trying to belittle that. A, a little bit I am belittling it, a little bit, but not, but not very much. Um, it's so much better, though. Like my wife said to me a few years ago, before the mentoring project, so this was about eight years ago at the time, I did a dissertation on mentoring. I was talking about it. I was starting a mentoring organization, and my wife said to me, um, who are you mentoring? And kind of like your question because in that moment I was an outsider. You know, I think the Japanese word is uh, gaijin, a gaijin, you know, an outsider. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was living on the outside of that. I wasn't mentoring anyone. And um, I think where we get authority as Christians and as people is when we move from outside to inside. And anthropologists mm -hmm. call that from intake to emic. When we move actually into the thing. So you hear these stories of, about guys like Shane Claiborne who adopts blocks in Philly or the church called the Dream Center in L.A. Those people have real authority that when crises come, you know, the guy, the guy Captain Johnson at Ferguson, who got all the cops to take off all their masks and put down their automatic weapon, and he just started marching with the protesters, not protesting with them, but protecting their rights to protest peacefully, and he had tons of authority because he had had years in that community. And so for us as Christians, we love to stay in that ideological world. And unless we move into the relational present world, um, our faith is incomplete. And I would even say immature. It's, it's, 
It is without the Great Commission lifestyle, which is what Jesus was about, gathering 12 people around him, pouring his life into them, teaching them to, them to pray, showing them life, doing life with them. And so mentor to me is kind of of your faith. It's also uh, a necessary part of the Christian faith because we love to stay on the ideological level and stay kind of on the outside and write things on Facebook or do little fun campaigns and do things. But the question for all of us is, who are you mentoring? Or what are you doing? And, and unless we're doing those things, um, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of on the edge, kind of on the fringes, and, and even our impact could be questioned versus the guy in the middle has tons of authority, even if he has no Twitter, and even if he has no books, none, none of that stuff, but he's got massive authority because he is, he's on the, in the middle of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so here's a question that I've asked. Um, you're, you're my second guest on this podcast. I'm, we're really sort of just like breaking this whole machine in here. But, um, you know, so my oldest son, Stuart, is going to be a senior in college next year. And what advice would you give to him and a group of his peers? Yeah, so, you know, if I was just chatting with him normally, um, you know, I think probably um, just kind of the very, 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 at the base core level to um, really to the greatest commandment, I mean, to love God and to, to prioritize the Lord first and actually seeking him in devoting his time to, to learning the goodness and the love of God through the scriptures and and, mm. um, and then really letting that guide because he the Lord can guide your son way better than you can. He could can, can my children better than that, better than we can. And so that's that's at a very core level of just Lord give me your son, you know, I mean like the book of Proverbs is so packed with stuff. I mean there's so many things. If you start reading the book of Proverbs you'll start saying, Wow, that's Mm-hmm. Uh, humility, humility comes before honor. Okay, should I brag on mine? No, like no, no. Let another man praise you and not God. Like, oh, okay, so I'll keep my mouth shut. It's it's to your glory to overlook an offense. So when that guy in the mm-hmm. coffee line, so that looks stupid. Like, and I, I can I can knock him out, or it's actually to my glory just to keep my mouth shut and kind of know on the inside that God's pleased with that. Um, you know, not being passive, but at the same time. Um, you know, the guy, there was a guy at a wedding, he talked about how my beard and my hair used to be a lot wilder when I lived in Portland. It was like perpetually wet too because it would just rained all the time. So I had yeah. a big, big, wet, shaggy mane. And I went to my friend's dad's funeral and uh, I drove a long distance, like 15 hour round trip to go to this thing. And one of the guys, one of his friends saw me with that hair and stuff and said something real derogatory about me in front of everyone. I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I just drove in. So like, you know, I said something like, how oh, I just looked awful. I mean, he was, like, being serious, too. And, right. like, you know, Sowers just looks like a, like, and it wasn't kind of playful. Like, I like, I like rough, playful joking. Like, oh, dude, you look yeah. so much. Like, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Like, I can, I can yeah. But this guy wasn't really a friend. He was trying to be a jerk. He was really, and I really wanted to punch him. And he was, he punched <laughs> I, I could have probably smoked him and just knocked him out right there in the church and dragged right. him out, you know, in the rain. But it just was like, I think the Lord brought that verse back to me. And so, you know, that the, the wisdom from above is, first of all, peaceful and pure. It's, it's actually in James 2. Um, and it definitely, it's not self-seeking. And all these, 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 beautiful, these beautiful ideas. And so, 
as we press into the true the, the God that is the Father of Jesus, who, um, you know, Jesus, when Peter cuts the ear off, he says, no, 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 don't, don't fight for me with, with, with violence. My kingdom's not of this world. Um, so we, we, we don't do that. And, and that's one of the most beautiful things. And so I think pressing into, you know, the God of all wisdom and, and trying to align your life with his words for you and his mission for you, um, I think God makes us so unique as well. We're all like individual and no two are alike. And so his path might look so different than yours. And God mm. allows him to discover that and like that. It might, he might be like a champion harp player, or he might be in the military, or he might be a college professor, or he might be a successful businessman, or a librarian, or a coffee shop owner. Who knows what, what that would look like? He's got unlimited potential. But it's beautiful how God uh, aligns our steps. And so, you know, I, I never would have guessed in college that I would be leading a mentoring nonprofit. I mean, yeah. never would have yeah. never, I never would yeah. have Yeah. Yeah, I think um, if you looked at me in college, you would have just said, um, why is he here? Um, yeah. But um, what? So here, I, mean, I got a couple, like maybe three more questions, and then we're going to wrap it up here. Um, what is the funniest story in your life so far? Like that one story you tell people that that just cracks you up. Yeah, I have a few of them. Um, there was one, I was on an airplane a couple of years ago now, and uh, this guy sat beside me, and I thought he was an amazing baseball player. And so um, it was really cool. And he uh, we were just talking about things and, we started talking about hunting, and I like I like to hunt. And a friend of mine um, is kind of this professional hunter, so you know, thousands of dollars of free. So he sent, you know, thousand dollar bow, a really nice thing that I would never probably buy. And um, uh, so we're talking about the kind of bows, and this guy sitting beside me on this plane, uh, he used the same kind of bow. We had all this stuff in common. I had no idea who he was. And so I said, yeah, this friend of mine who's this country artist. He plays guitar, and he gets all this free stuff coming. And I was kind of joking about it, you know. And I was like, you know how those guys are. And he kind of laughed, and it was a four-hour plane flight. And about two hours later, I thought this was a country artist as well. And so I was just kind of like hating on country to this guy who was Bobby Atkins. He's like, kind of all these number one songs. <laughs> it was so funny. Because like he he never would tell me, and then I finally saw like his headset, like with his, uh, and it said Atkins on it. It said Rodney Atkins. Like, oh, this is the other thing. Oh, <laughs> back row. So it was so great. It was so great. And so also real cool because he opened up to me some and about his life, and and I only know like three or four authors that are like you know big serious authors. I mean I know more than that probably now, but back yeah. then I didn't know very many, and. Uh, he starts opening up to me about this book called The Shack, and he, he said he was reading it, just, and he was crying on the airplane so hard, it was touching and moving him, but the stewardess kind of stopped and checked on him, and he said, man, have you read that? I like, man, I love that book. I was like, write this email, and it just so happened, like, again, I only knew like two or three authors at the time, but I did call young, I was like, here, write this email down, and then he kind of like, kind of was crazy, and then he had two or three other authors, and then he said, and the last book that meant a lot to me was called Blue Like Jazz. Have you heard of that book? <laughs> well, yeah, you know? So crazy. And so I was like, no, I heard of that too. And 
And here I can see my you know, John Miller and I you know, started the Moonchain project together in Portland. He's a good friend of mine. So it's really cool. Um, got to connect and I didn't ask him for any of his information. You know, I felt like it was kind of a sacred moment and you know, I was thinking, yeah. well, if he, if he wants to, he can reach out to these guys. But it was cool because I was that he like tweeted me and said, hey, let's hang out. And uh, we had him, we had him come last year to our conference. We had a mentoring conference, and he shared these amazing stories about mm. growing up in an orphanage and all this stuff. And um, wow, it's just neat how God kind of orchestrates things because it was really funny and really powerful and meaningful. And after he finished his story, he sang a song. Just with his guitar, acoustic, and the whole room just like wept, you know. And, and so, I don't know. I guess that's not real funny. There's irony. No, but it's real. It's real insightful. I mean, you never know what kind of opportunity you're going to have. Um, so, two, two, two quick questions. So, you know, there's a lot of pop culture references in your books. Um, what's your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. My favorite books, for sure, are Tolkien books. But right. I, I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was like in like second or third grade or however old I was. Yeah. Um, I remember just being really taken by it. Like movies kind of like, I like absorb them. Like I'm, I, I like go into the screen, you know, like they, they feel yep. so, sometimes I can't even remember what's happening in the story because I'm just so engrossed with the experiences of you know, Indiana Jones running from the boulder oh, man. or falling in the snakes or shooting the... Using the I, I'm totally it. there. I'm totally with you, man. And, yeah, I remember oh, seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark at this, probably about that. I think we're fairly similar in age, but I saw it um, in the movie theater and I just remember, you know, on the way home, we still had an hour ride or 45 minute ride yeah. back home and I just remember like going back through it in my mind, you oh, know, because it was such a... And I remember, uh, you know... I'm such a movie freak that sometimes I watch these documentaries. Like I watched this thing last night while I was up, up late working. I, I listened to this thing called, um, you know, the story about the man behind the story of Indiana Jones. And I'm very fascinated with that backstory. Like, you know, you, you know, how do you create a guy who's a, um, you know, he's hunting for these relics. You know, you don't right. just come up with that. There's some right. inspiration behind it. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, um, you know, from a biblical perspective, you know, there's so many, like, things in there that obviously, you know, um, don't really match up. But um, so here's, here's a last question here. Um, so I'm making a – I'm asking everybody who visits my podcast um, as, a, as a guest uh, to, part, to participate in picking three songs for my Spotify – my Shut Up and Listen Spotify playlist. What three mm. songs – would you have on there? And that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really liking this new artist from, well, he's not so new, but from from Nashville called Andrew Bell. And yeah, um, yeah. he has a song called Pieces. And he sounds a lot like Chris Martin, but I think he's better than Chris Martin. He's so super good. And so I'll listen to that song over and over again. Another song I listen to over and over, I get on like these songs and listen to them like a hundred times in a row. Uh, another yeah. one is uh, the Switchfoot new song uh, "When We Come Alive." Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's just an incredible, you know, song. And then there's a few more. Um, I would probably there's a lot of bands I like. There's one called um, uh, it's kind of a love song called uh, by a band called Phosphorescent, and that song is called "Song for Zula." And then lastly, mm -hmm. to give you to give you fourth, it would be. <laughs> 
my, my buddy uh, Josh Gerl is, is coming out with a new album, and um, I haven't heard any of that. His whole last album, Love, War, and the Sea in Between, is what I listened to while I was writing Heroic Path. I listened to it over and over again. But, um, his new album, I'm sure, is going to be really stellar, and I think it comes out like in a month or something. That's awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for joining me today, and I really appreciate your time and uh, yeah, the man. conversation, and, um, and we'll look forward to uh, connecting somewhere in the future. Have a great day. No, absolutely, Jim. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. You've been listening to the Shut Up and Listen podcast featuring Jim Gray. Shut Up and Listen is a production of Frequency.fm and 330pm.com. For more cool stuff, check us out at www.frequency.fm. Thanks for listening. Stay cool. Stay cool.